Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, the cusp show where we talk about the business of sports and technology and media, disruption, all different kinds of things. And I'm Joe Favorito, back with my co-host as the semester has started, Tom Richardson. Tom, we're back. Hi. Hey, Joe. It's, it's very nice to be back with you in person for a new show. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yes. I mean, we've had a tough go of it the last few months with these joint podcasts. Yep. So. It uh, feels good to be reunited and got a really cool guest today. Very cool guest. We're all about cool. Yeah. That's why. Hippie well, cool. So. Also, I think there's a word that we've never used in introducing a podcast, and that is the word science. So that's right. a little tease for what we're going to get into. We're going to throw this, the S into it. Now, right. we, that's the we S talk about analytics, but yeah. not legit science. Right. So. Um, so a little bit of trivia for our guest. He's actually on the Columbia campus today and almost went to school here at one point to play football, soccer. Um, had a little bit of an established career as a footballer in the UK, commentator for the BBC, and now is hosting a show with Neil deGrasse Tyson and Chuck Nice called Playing With Science. So Gary O'Reilly, welcome to The Cusp Show. Thank you, love it. Good to have you, Gary. Yeah. So how did you get here? Um, so first of all, other than taking the train, obviously, from Southampton. That's but, my answer. But. Um, <laughs> Um, tell us a little bit and about your South Hampton, the Long Island South Hampton. Long Island South Hampton, exactly. Because it can get mixed um, up when you're talking to Brett. But like I said, you you won't almost played soccer at Columbia at one point, correct? I did. Yeah, I, I was offered a full scholarship back in 1979. Wow. Um, wow. I know. Uh, <clears throat> for those of you that are of a certain age listening to that, you can carbon date me after this podcast. Uh, I... I thought long and hard about taking this opportunity. Wow. Where were you playing in high school? Uh, we didn't have high school football. Okay. No, it, it, it kind of existed, but was of no okay. value. It wasn't a route to anywhere. Okay. In, in the UK, high school soccer football does not take you to a place. Okay. If you are of any ability, you will already have found your way into a number of other different systems. So you'll be into a county representative right. situation. Okay. You'll be in the England national team set up for schoolboys, mm -hmm. or one of the local football teams will come and drag you into their system. Right, like an so, academy or something like yeah, that. But yeah, but this is pre-academy. They were just wow. so okay. a couple of youth teams before before money was invented. Yeah, <laughs> uh, a couple so, of shekels. Is absolutely, so. and so. That's how I sort of progressed through that. And I came to the attention of people here in the US through my appearances for the England National School Boys teams. I've been under, we were under 19 at that time. I'd stayed an extra two years in high school to study, to then go to university. So the opportunity to come to Columbia was given to me. It was a fabulous one. It's New York very scary from someone from a very remote place looking at New York in the late 70s right. it's a little different though. oh yeah anybody who's watched the deuce on HBO will see how different yes. it was yeah, it's very different um, Duke made an approach wow I'd heard of Columbia oh. I'd never heard of Duke okay. I have heard of Duke now and I understand what an outfit they can be um, but I chose not to come to the US. I felt I was better placed to stay in the UK and I had a, a degree at Loughborough University uh, and I was going to do that. 
So I left school at 18, I got a job in the summer, and then I thought, I'm just going to go and train. I'd been playing with Tottenham in their youth setup uh, regularly. Um, and I said, look, do you mind if I come pre-season training, just get myself fit, and I can go to university? They were, yeah, okay, fine. I said, I'm not asking for money. Can you pay my expenses? Yes. We had a good relationship. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And September rolled around, and I got offered a two-year professional contract by Tottenham Hotspur. I had to then have a discussion with my father mm. about me not going to university. Mm. How'd that go? I signed for Tottenham. There you go. Um, uh, that was at 18. By the age of 19, I had made my debut in the first team. And as far as I was concerned, that was a year too late because I was a rather confident young <laughs> teenage man. So you can imagine how much of a pain in the backside I could have been. Wow. Yes, wow. So that's, an, that's amazing. That's, that's very cool. And, and then it obviously worked out pretty well for you because you stayed yeah, uh, had, for, as had a professional moments. player for, what, over a decade? I had 14 years wow. as a pro. And I'd been at Tottenham for two years previous as what we would call an amateur while I was still at school. So uh, yeah, my involvement in professional football in the UK, I was blessed. I will only see it as being blessed. I, I spanned three decades as a professional player. I got to play for three clubs, all of whom are in the Premier League right now. Uh, I, got, I played at Wembley for Tottenham. I played in European Cup games. I mean, I was up in the office there, and there's a couple of Bayern Munich shirts. And I have a Bayern Munich shirt of uh, Dieter Hernes. And I, that, was, that was from the European Cup Winners' Cup. We were playing against people like Karl Heinz Rummenigge, Paul Breitner, Dieter Hernes, Michel Pfaff. Lightweight. Just, yeah, very, you very know, soft talent. Flimsy, yeah. never ever going to go far in their career kind of player. <laughs> yeah. Really. So I, I was part of the squad that won the UEFA Cup in 1984, the following wow. season. Um, and then I decided I, would, I didn't want to play in, in the second team much more. So being that rather confident young man, I left Tottenham with two years of my contract outstanding. I went to go and play at Brighton because I wanted to play. I wanted to prove. I did not lace my boots up to sit on the bench. As I said... Um, it's it's one of those situations, for better or for worse, I will make this move. So I went and I established myself in Brighton. I'd play alongside people like Frank Worthington or Jimmy Case. Jimmy Case is a former Liverpool player who I think won the European Cup twice. Uh, players like Dean Saunders, who younger listeners will know from Liverpool and Aston Villa. Uh, Frank Worthington, who is considered one of the 70s maverick players who was just a fantastic character to learn from and play next to. Yeah, and I had a great time at Brighton. Um, the club became financially distressed, and players like myself and Dean Saunders were pushed out of the door for the sake of much-needed money. The head coach would call me in, and one day said to me, look, we need to pay the wages for the whole of the club this month. Um, we've only got one bid for a player, and that's you. If you go, we pay the wages. If you don't, we don't pay the wages. Wow. But if you don't like it, don't go, we'll work something out. Which was basically a bit of a Hail Mary prayer, I believe, on his behalf. But he had the decency to be straight with me, and I appreciated that. That's crazy. I ended up at Crystal Palace. Um, 
interesting times at Crystal Palace because they weren't much better off financially. They were re-emerging through uh, administration and you know going into bankruptcy and that sort of thing. But I spoke to the then manager Steve Cottle, listened to what he had to say, looked at the players that they had. They had just acquired a striker called Mark Bright. How old, how old are you at that point? Twenty-seven. Okay. Um, Prime of your career. Supposedly. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Bright had just been brought in from Leicester City because he was in the he was found himself second choice to Gary Lineker. Uh, alongside Mark was a young striker who'd broken into the first team in the previous six months, a guy called Ian Wright. Yes, that Ian Wright, Arsenal fans. Uh, father of Bradley. Right, Phillips. There you go. Um, from Red Bull. And I was going to say, a good MLS reference. Right yeah, there. right there. So Ian, Ian had been dragged out of amateur football. He had no professional pedigree at all at the age of 24. We had another player in the system called Andy Gray. Andy Gray would go on to be an England international. Ian became an England international. We had young players coming through at that time. John Solarco who became an England international, Richard Shaw, who didn't, but had a fantastic career. Um, we acquired players like Jeff Thomas, Alan Pardew, who became a Premier League manager. He was dragged out of non-league football at the age of 27 and brought into the club. If you think about the use of data analytics and sabermetrics and moneyball, the viewing of a set series of data in front of you, but looking at it from another angle to see another value in it. We as a club back then, Crystal Palace, were practicing very much a money ball ethos. We see a value in this player that hasn't been quiet. We will back our scouting reference to see this. We were taking players who had failed or failed to enter the system professionally and had gone and dropped out. We bring them back in. They They had a kind of photo fit. Players who had been at big clubs and therefore had had a good football education, but had now dropped out and were playing in lower levels, but had a certain amount that wasn't being used within their game. We brought those But how, how were you determining that without any player trackers or, or sensors? Or I assume you didn't have those back in the day. because no. they didn't exist. Exactly. <laughs> right. There, weren't, there no. were no spreadsheets. Right. There were no data analytics in terms of black and white numbers. This was my eyes watching you with my experience and thinking okay. and seeing and knowing what it was I was looking for. And would this work? Would this fit? How much does this cost? Mm-hmm. Where can this be acquired? What? And so you looked at it again, looking as they did at the Oakland days for value for money. Mm-hmm. Can I acquire something without having to pay Yankees prices? Okay, how do we do that? We know what we want to do. Let's go about doing it. And that's what they did. That's why they came to Brighton, who were financially distressed, to pick up me. Wow. Mark Bright was another player they picked up for very little money. Alan Pardew, three track suits and a couple of footballs. Wow. Maybe not as much, maybe more. Um, and, and so that's the way Andy Gray who I mentioned became an England international, was picked up from non-league amateur football. So, so what has transpired over the last 20, 25 years must be amazing to you. Oh, gosh, yes. And, and are you a true believer now in, in modern 
yes. analytics and, yeah. and technology? I, I prefer I, to look at it as, that's great. I need that. That's brilliant. Now let me see for myself. Yeah. Okay. I, want, I want to have that hybrid of me looking, seeing. Because there is no test right now. This will change, I guarantee you, because this is the next iteration of the money ball development. Absolutely, yeah. What's going on in your head? What is going on? Just in look at your his Twitter head? account. No, no, no. <laughs> As you walk into the fingers. stadium to play, <laughs> I, I know you're bonkers and you say stupid stuff or whatever it is on social media. That's even if you do, right? Right. But are you game ready? Are you game fit mentally? You yeah. look like you're in great shape. The numbers yeah. from the practice tell me your recovery is good. Right. Everything's right. You're not in a red flag. It's your head. Where's your head at? Don't look at me like that. Where's your head? <laughs> and I need that. I need to know because I can't afford passengers. I, you can have a bad day. For instance, if I was having a bad day in a game in my later part of my career, I would know that. And then I could, all right, not going as well for me today as I would have liked. Wasn't quite having a stinker, but this isn't good. So what I would do now is affect you, 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 you. The guys as near as possible around me that I could vocal, vocally influence and become a sphere of positive influence and make you play a little bit better. Pick up your game to make up for my mm -hmm. drop in performance levels for whatever reason. So you still, through your experience, bring about a better team performance. Right. So it's, it's not all about me, not when we're in a team situation. Mm -hmm. It has to be, all right, I'm not doing as mm -hmm. well, but can I make you better? Can I, can I help this in this way? And so you go about things in, in that sort of environment. Wow. What a really interesting perspective. Especially at that age. I mean, well, yeah, and in yeah. that era, yeah. you know, kind of the pre-digital era, I guess. Yeah. Um, I know, but the, yeah. you're always looking for an advantage. I, I understand that. And yeah. if I get a 2 3% bump, that might be enough. Right. I can get myself 10%, I'd be happy. Yeah. I, I will embrace that. I will take that forward. Now and again, you find it's not a cup of coffee, it's a performance-enhancing drug. That will give me the bump <laughs> that I would love. Sometimes it's going away and thinking about how and become a more effective and more efficient performer. It might be, you know what, well, I've got to train harder. So, so did you take this fascination into your post-playing days, into broadcasting, and, 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 and we want to talk about the show um, and what you're up I, to I now. I started to, when I finished playing, I, I moved directly into media. Yeah. That wasn't intended. Crossing yeah. to the dark side. Very yeah. much so. Because yeah. I was never one for courting an interview post-game. Right. I was never one for, where's the camera? Ah, oh, darling, don't I look beautiful? <laughs> Off I go. I would definitely walk the other way. It would be a case of, I went to be a scout. Mm. I would go and scout and analyze teams and individuals and break things down and push the folder across the desk and say, there you go, that's what I think about them. This is how, I this is how their right. set plays are coming at you. Right. This is where this happens, this is where that happens, then I break down each individual player. None of this is done with any <laughs> laptop right. or anything. Don't forget, we've just about got cellular phones. That's true. Yeah. Giant ones, like in Wall but, Street. But that oh, gosh, said, yes. those yeah. instincts are, are good to bring to broadcasting, obviously, because you're being paid to, yeah. to offer up opinions about but what, what everybody's watching. When I, when I started to work in media, I was more a house cat. 
I was the studio anchor. Oh, okay. They weren't sending me out to go analyze games. Mm. They was, I was, you'll love this. I was the studio anchor for NFL on Sky Sports Television. Really? Yes. Yeah. First adopter. <laughs> All right. So this was 1995, 96. There was a European league. Yep. So my first. The World League of American Football. Right. I, I so worked at the NFL at the time. My first big discussion. guest. All over luck. Yeah. Yes, my yeah. first guest in the studio was a quarterback for the London Monarchs, or Monarchs, depending on your point of view. <laughs> he was then currently with the Minnesota Vikings, but he won a Super Bowl with the Buccaneers. Doug Williams? No, um, Brad Johnson. Oh, Brad Johnson. Brad Johnson, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He oh, was second my Super Bowl. first Correct. studio guest. That's mm. really funny. And then, yeah. but... And I, Doug Williams. Why did I say that? Redskins won the Super Bowl. Yeah. So the thing is, that was the whole idea mm. to give the quarterbacks game time that they could not get mm -hmm. here in the US. You know, third or fourth choice. Right. What, what are they going to get? Yeah. They're going to get to watch practice. Right. <laughs> Unless it's this year and then they're starting. But oh, that's God. a different story. Yeah, they're going to fall around flies. So I, I did that. Then I was hosting phone in shows and, and having lots of fun. Then I would go and do some games and do match reporting, not commentary, not right. analysis, but match reporting. So that was fun. That was a lot of enjoyment. And then I sort of moved off uh, into other areas, uh, came back, worked in radio, did a lot of radio work with the BBC, particularly the BBC London, bearing in mind the number of teams in London. Mm -hmm. I could be doing uh, a lower tier game or, or being the Bernabeu doing Real Madrid Arsenal. Just whichever way. I remember the first time my, um, my, my, my sports editor at BBC London sent me out to a game, and I was being test-driven. He was, he was like, well, let's see how this goes. He might have played, but can he actually walk and chew gum at the same time? <laughs> so they sent me to Fulham, beautiful little Craven Cottage down on the River Thames. At that time, Fulham were not a Premier League club. They weren't even a championship club. They were in the fourth division. They were in the lowest tier of professional football England had to offer. They were playing Lincoln City. I remember it well. It was November, somewhere about that time of the year. So it got dark. I'm sat there. I'm, I'm way down the food chain when it comes to, we're going to go to a match report on Tottenham, Arsenal, West Ham, Chelsea. Yeah, Fulham's way off. So I, they come to me. I'm prepared. I have written game notes. I'm about to make my debut broadcasting for the BBC radio. I get one third of the way down my notes. The lights all go out. <laughs> because I have been waiting that long. Everyone else has gone home. And it's like, click. I'm on air and I'm laughing. <laughs> so I've got a former teammate, Garth Crooks. He and I played at Tottenham together. And I've got a very sharp-witted comedian in the studio back in the centre of London. So what's the problem? I said, well, I could tell you a lot more about the game, but the lights have all gone out and I can't <laughs> see my notes. And that's life. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and that was, so the, the editor who's, who, who's gone on to be a very good friend of mine and I've worked with on a number of projects, just said, you know what, if you can handle that, you can handle anything. Well, yeah. Absolutely, you. that's good. Yeah. Everybody's and got you stories do, like you, that. You, yeah. have a, you have an experience, you have fun, and you get on with stuff. So I would be doing... American football for the World League, and um, we would be doing a simultaneous satellite feed from Germany and then one from Amsterdam while I'd be in the studio in London. 
So what was your opinion of American football, by the way? Did you? Yeah. I mean... Are you still a fan? Yes. Big guys in tight-fitting clothes, (laughs) knocking... No. I looked at it, and I, I got the privilege to stand on the sidelines and see it for what it is at ground level. Now, I knew about the natural athletic ability. I understood that. But then I got to understand more. From an analytics point of view, mm-hmm. I'm looking at safeties as defenders. I'm looking at cornerbacks. I'm looking at linebacks. I'm thinking, hmm, okay. I can see correlations mm-hmm. between what I kind of did and what they were doing. Football and football. Yeah, yeah. and I, mm-hmm. I, got to, I got to understand and have much more respect. I got to see the coaches in operation and understand what they were thinking and how they were thinking to a, to a limited level. So you're at the BBC and accelerate us a little bit as to how you actually got to this side of the pond and also where you guys are today. But there was a, there were a couple little business bumps that came along in the, in the middle of it. What were they? Um, right, we'll walk faster. I was working with Sky. I was working with uh, the BBC. At that time, I started to work with Premier League Productions on doing Premier League games on radio, which then took me into Premier League. TV. So I was become match analyst for television and the radio. And, and, I did and they kept the lights on for you then? They did. They were right. very kind. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, we did that and that was fabulous. Then they built a content channel. So I had a global live global phone-in show. Wow. So you could Skype me from Africa, uh, Singapore, Canada, Europe, wherever, and poof, emails, tweets, you name it. We had everything coming in. And we would do things, sometimes we'd sit there and they'd say, well, how many calls did we get today? Well, we had 3,000 people wanting to dial in an hour-long show. Wow. So this was a post-match. So on a Saturday evening in London, we would run this show for one hour. And they just, I gotta talk. <laughs> I gotta say something. And in they come. And it was fabulous. I had a lot of fun. And uh, while I'm doing that, I stayed in connection with the game through the sportswear brands. I did a, I set up, helped set up a program with Nike um, to develop a national system of scouts to identify players. I moved out of that and I went to work with Adidas. I call it Adidas. You can call it something else. Um, the three stripes. Them, them. Them that wear three stripes. And then I spent something like nine years working with their marketing and talent identification and player development um, for, for the UK. And we would, we would work with certain players and we had certain remits and said, right, we've got this player, he's 13 years of age. Will he be an England international? Well, I don't know. (laughs) He could discover all sorts of things between here and there. But the indicators are this. We have spoken, and I I would then, I was working in the southeast of England. I would then reference through a whole network of scouts that I had uh, within large Premier League organisations, within the academies, with the direct Mm -hmm. coaches, with whoever it was. And I would then utilize a more advanced system of data analysis to say whether or not. Couldn't always get my hands on Mm -hmm. um, 
personal data, surprisingly enough, and I'm pleased to say that's that's good because that means that privacy right. is intact and those protocols are there. But you would have an understanding of players' socio-economic background. You would have uh, an understanding of what the parents look like because then you'd have an idea of how tall this player would grow. If it was a goalkeeper, that would be vital. And so you, you had little indicators like that. You'd be talking and conversing and you'd go and see players. You'd think, and you'd be, you'd be saying, right, this player, this player, this player. Um, we had a, a guy who came over here, played in MLS, a guy called Nigel Rio Coca. Um, I think he was captain of West Ham United at 21. He'd been with me since he was 16. Wow. No one fancied him. Mm. And he wasn't, he wasn't one of those outstanding, naturally gifted players. But I'd go and watch him, and I said, he's going to be one of, my, one of my group, because he didn't understand what second place was. Give me a team full of winners, right. and I guarantee this team will find a way to win. And I needed players like that. Mm-hmm. Coaches need players like that. Right. And therefore, that's why I felt he would have, and he did. He, be, he got into the fringes of the England international side and he did very well and I'm pleased for him. Another one was a young 16-year-old kid who'd been the youngest player to ever score for his country. Um, he was now beginning to play in his first team and Gareth Bale didn't do bad. Mm, he was okay. Wow. He's had a pretty good career. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I would sit and talk to Gareth on the phone and we'd go through some targets and I won't repeat what was said <laughs> other than there are three targets the first one is something you think is beyond your reach the second one's way beyond that and the third one is just ridiculous so forget the first two and go to bed thinking only about the third one get up in the morning and think only about the third one wow okay. and on your way to thinking about the third one you will you will just ease past one and two so it's mental preparation Player development. Mm-hmm. Player development. Player development. Was you, a twist. Yeah. 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 But uh, that's my experience. Yeah. Bringing forward for a young player. Right. I right. can't play. Right. I can't do anything. But if me making all the mistakes that I made helps you, enjoy. Right. And so how do you parlay that into this U.S. experience? Okay. So um, met a woman on a train. Seriously, this is, not, about this, is not a shaggy, this is not a shaggy dog story. I met a woman on a train, and um, she works for NASA. Okay, normally impresses people. Okay, I must, I must say it was impressive, and we get talking, and she, I explain what I do. She then decides that she wants to make this radio show. And she co-ops Neil deGrasse Tyson to front this radio show. And she wants to make this science, pop culture, bring the message forward. But don't bring it in a white lab coat and punch people in the face until they say, oh, listen to it. <laughs> you allow it to, to ease itself through, but make it palatable, make it entertaining, yeah. but make it informative, make it an education without you feeling like you're being... Almost like a science version of Freakonomics, it sounds like. Right. So she brought this thing forward, and it grew and it grew. It became a podcast. It's still a very successful podcast. It's now being... Called? Star Talk. 
Star Talk. Right, and um, it's gone on to National Geographic TV channel and has had four Emmy nominations. Yep. So they're kind of doing something right. Now, on the way to this success, the idea was how do we now... By the way, who was the woman? Her name is Helen Matzos. Right. And... Uh, Popular resident of the Upper West Side. Yes. Uh, she, mm. She's executive producer and co-founder of StarTalk. And she said, right, what else can we do to bring this sort of message across in this sort of way? And she looked at it and said, sport. Sport has so much science in it yep. that to the point of those that know, know. But do they know quite everything that's going on? And Neil wrestled at Harvard, by the way. He so, did. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, if you meet the guy, he's got hands like dish plates. They're enormous. Um, <laughs> Is he a big guy? Yeah. Yes. You, can see, you can see why he will have wrestled. And he... He surprisingly enough understands the physics very well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so you, you're looking at that and you're looking at people who sit down and go, oh, that's what I'm seeing when I see that. Mm -hmm. the, the physics of a Hail Mary pass, the spiral. What's the spiral about? It's, magnus, it's a magnus force. So the rotation, it keeps on trajectory. It's going to this, it's going to that. Do you know if the wind is acting by so many miles an hour that... You can do this. This but is such a great second screen, third screen experience, yeah. Tom, when you think oh, about yeah. it. Yeah. So when you kick and you hit the ball as a, for a field goal, the rotation of the earth can actually affect whether that goes inside or outside the post. Neil's better at this than I am. <laughs> now there's a surprise, right, right? right? So we then will go into the technology. So we've, I was asked, because of my background in sport, but also my media background, would I come and be co-host? And I co-host this with Chuck Nice, who's mm -hmm. a stand-up comedian and an actor. And we have the privilege to have people like Neil deGrasse Tyson or Professor Charles Liu. Uh, no Bill Nye yet? Has Bill Nye been on? No. Big baseball haven't. fan, Bill Nye. He is a very big yeah. baseball fan. There's another guy down in Lynchburg, and I can never remember if it's Lynchburg University or the University of Lynchburg, but Professor Eric Goff, I apologize, but he is a pivotal part of what we do um, and they extract the physics then I'll have Dr. Heather Berlin will tell you what's going on in the human brain while the body is performing a free shot or a Formula One racing drive wow. and breaking it down then we might do the technology do you realize that NFL wide receivers gloves are made in a certain way but I asked the Nike glove designer why had they ever thought about using like the gecko situation with the thousands and thousands? He said, yes, the thousands of hairs on the palm of the glove to add to adhesion. He said, yes, we considered that, but it was too cost ineffective, just too expensive. So little things like that. We, we did a sneakerhead show about how, why, what, where. Uh, go off and do curling, tennis, golf, swimming. Oh my God, that's really Mountaineering, yeah. extreme sports. Why extreme sports are incredibly good for you? Because you're putting your life at danger. No. Because you prepare to survive putting your life in danger. So therefore it teaches you to organize, teaches you to be disciplined. 
It teaches you to be calm. Deal with stress. Thank you. Insurance. How to yeah. do insurance. <laughs> yeah, that, that as well. Right. And then logistics. Like we had uh, Vanessa O'Brien. I've got her name wrong. I'm sorry. She did the seven summits. So the seven continents. Mm -hmm. They all the have the highest peaks. peaks. Yeah. She did it in less than a year. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's that. logistically yeah. very intense. So that all of that. Plus, you've got to be, obviously, yeah. specific times of the year for, for climate reasons. For sure. No. And it's not the ascent that kills you. No. It's mm -hmm. the descent. Yeah. So you'll know this if you had that much knowledge. K2 isn't the tallest mountain in the world, but it's the most dangerous. Right. has a death rate of 25%. On her first, fourth ascent, having failed three times, she's really rolling the dice. Please say she's still here to tell right. us about Statistically, it. Statistically, she's gone. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, you know, things like that. Yeah. that whoa. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So when NFL's Next Gen Stats came out two seasons ago, mm -hmm. three seasons ago, yeah. we had the CEO of, I'll call it Zebra Technologies, and yeah. you can correct can my English. Zebra. You can and will. <laughs> Zebra sounds so much more English. elegant. No, it's just my way of pronouncing it. She came on to explain what was going on with the microchips in the shoulder pads yeah. and how they had their origin in logistics and tracking of containers and parcels and packages. So, and you learn all of these things. So, I mean, this is strength and conditioning, nutrition, biomechanics, how rotational forces, just everything. Anything Amazing. we find Amazing. in sport, we will unlock the science. Not always the same science, not always everything we do to physics. It could be the anatomy, it could be the mental capacity and what triggers and how, and what goes through the stress and the strains, it might be the economics. We had a Dan Altman, professor of economics at NYU, has become a data analyst in the world of football and has advised a number of professional clubs in Europe as well as here as to certain things and provided algorithms that help analyze. Talking of algorithms, we did a sports betting show and found out why machine learning algorithms are in play within the world of gambling mm -hmm. and how they're in play. Mm -hmm. and, and it's early days. Yep. Yeah. And you you look at it and you see how that works, how this goes. We did a show with Mario Andretti mm -hmm. and found out at the age of seven, he was in a refugee camp in Italy. Mm. All about the story. Amazing. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I wanted that story to be left there for someone listening to him. He's a world champion. He won Formula One, NASCAR, oh. Indy. He started in a refugee camp. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And just leave it and not comment on it, but have it there. So, yeah, it's part of it is the science and the sport, but now and again you get a chance to tell a story. Amazing. Yeah. And really? bring the listener with you. You guys record in New York? Yeah. 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 So, uh, we did another show. It's not been released yet. What's the frequency? Kenneth. Uh, no, sorry, <laughs> couldn't resist oh, that. Very good. Couldn't resist wow. that. Wow, um, very witty. Thank you. <laughs> Won't happen again. REM. So, it's it's available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. You know, Sirius, iTunes, okay. yeah. uh, Apple, and so the so the, the number one way people would consume it is via podcast yeah. applications. Yeah, okay. for sure. And, and so. you're going to start relaunch the show in in January 2020, uh, something correct? like that. But yeah. we haven't quite announced anything yet. So right. I'm going to just at some point you hold that pause okay. of that thought. We will have some spectacular mm. things coming forward. 
Um, I mean, we did a show, I did a show recently with Carlos Beltran, for those of you who are baseball mm-hmm. fans. Yeah. Um, here's one for you. You normally use your peripheral vision, right? This, I think this uh, survival technique from going many, many centuries and millennia back. There's a, there was a doctor, Dr. Bill Harrison, who I'm, I'm sadly to say passed away, I believe. If he hasn't, it's good news. <laughs> if he hasn't, sorry that he has. He was working with athletes on their foveal vision, which is right in the center of the eye and is a sharper, more accurate and quicker focus. He was working with people like Carlos Beltran to improve their hitting, to improve their ability to see the yeah. tails and, and things like that. So we get Carlos to talk about that. Uh, after he's drafted his first season in minor leagues, he becomes a switch hitter. Right. And we get Neil to talk about the physics of changing to become a switch hitter. And we go through things like that. So we tell a little bit of his story, but give you science with someone who is most likely going to be a Hall of Famer sooner rather than later. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, it it reminds me of that, uh, what was the podcast we did where we were talking about evaluating players with some technical aspect of evaluation that would determine how successful they would be in, in baseball. Was it Rick Pe- the Rick Pe- one of the ones with Rick Peterson Perhaps, where we talked about? Yeah, this idea of yeah. actually applying the technology to teenagers to say, look, you may have been successful, but you just don't have what it takes hmm. physiologically. Yeah. Forget leaving the psychology side, but physiologically, like, like, for example, the quality of the eyesight. So there's a company in Chicago that I know Brian Kopp is involved with, yep. Visual Edge, yeah. and, they, and, and they have applications These are the high speed military. Cameras. Yeah, I'm not sure what the t- exact tech is, but the, the idea is evaluating in military sports and other areas uh, of in, in endeavors that require import, where eyesight is extremely important. Yeah. They can actually determine um, differences in your ability to process things and then improve it with training. Well, half the battle is knowing what yeah. to look for and when to look for it. Um, I mean, we can we can go into sports like baseball. Uh, you look at what Moneyball did, and it's the historic valuation of um, things from a data perspective. And it will tell you the value that's been overlooked because it looks at a certain thing from a different way. So if you look at something from a different way, you invariably get a different result. The second iteration of Moneyball is to use extremely high-speed cameras. I think one of the things called Rapsido, and it can take hundreds of frames per second. So that, for a pitcher, is vital because all of a sudden, I know just if I'm rotating a fraction, and that's enough to take away my slider or destroy my curveball. The same with hitters. And every major league organization has this. The minors have it. The colleges have it. There's even a couple of high schools that have it, apparently, obviously those with money. Um, but it's that for me is improving the player, not looking at data from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. It's actually improving the player going forward. So if this is now in high schools, the high school players invariably will get better. So therefore, you're raising the base level of the talent within baseball. It will have applications in tennis. It will have applications in golf. Mm-hmm. And it will be in. I mean, we've another show we haven't released yet. Spoiler: um, We went to the U.S. Open. 
and I spoke to data analytics coaches that use exactly this technique and we get into AI and how AI is a pattern predicting which is perfect for tennis, perfect for soccer or football. Mm -hmm. All those sort of things. Under these circumstances, this is likely to happen. It's going to become a coach's tool. And then we'll, have, we'll do things with Neil Tyson where I will ask him a question. Will AI be a better coach than Pete Carroll on the mm -hmm. sidelines? And you, you're seeing how that thought process allows you to, to follow it through yourself or just hear what Neil has to say. So... We've touched on almost every sport as we get to wrap up. Welcome to Playing With Science. They, so, and that, my question is, who's, so who, when you look at the audience, and STEM has now become mm. so important to young people, athletes want to be more involved in STEM now. Yeah. Um, analytics is involved. Who, who would you say is the audience for a show like this? Everybody. Great. Great answer. Mm. Doesn't give me an answer, Gary. Right. But we, the maxim for Playing With Science and the maxim of what we do with Star Talk as regards the sports side of it it is where jocks and geeks collide. It's a, it's a sharing of a space that athletes are now becoming far more inclined to want to use analytics and embrace the science because they know it's going to give them the X percentage bump they're looking for, that they're all looking for. The analysts... The strength and conditioning coaches, the biometrics, the scientists. The parents. The parents. Thank mm -hmm. you. Good mm -hmm. point. Valuable point. Are being attracted to the sports because where their asset, where their forte lies, can find a comfortable home and produce fabulous results. And if they're parents, what better result than seeing your young child develop into a superb athlete and become... Looking at the nurture, looking at the nature, and combining the two, yeah, that's, a, that's another way of seeing it. And this is just, this has begun over the last 10 years in terms of the way that this is maybe probably longer, but the way that it's thought about and used at elite level sport. And I can see it developing even more, particularly in the psychological aspect of it and learning how to make more of your body by working with your brain last question which we did we touched on neil and some of the other people mm -hmm. how does chuck nice factor into the whole thing and, and what do you what do you see how does he bring an chuck's fabulous the show? absolutely he's love phenomenal him. on star talk yes yeah. and that's what you get on star talk is what you get with us on playing with science with chuck mm. he has a super inquiring mind he has a love for sport he he is a sportsman he will play tennis, he will play golf, he will go and play football with his kids or whatever it is. And he's an avid viewer. He immediately defaults to the funny bone and he will look through a comedic lens. So you get that aspect of it. And there's a lot of fun to be had. And Chuck and I just bounce off each other as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's quite often. Um, because I, I can't just sit there and I'll always be in trouble in class because the teacher will say, what are you laughing at? Um, that would have been me and the younger me. And so I kind of have that. If I'm enjoying it, hopefully our listeners are enjoying it. And I, I just sit in the front row of class just about every single show, from surfing to curling to tennis to golf. And we've had world champions, Olympic gold medal winners, Super Bowl winners, World Series winners, 
just about every sport. You know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lamps Armstrong, they've all been on the show. And you're just getting started, which is the best part. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a there's two and a half years of podcast archive. So if this podcast has you interested, please go find Star Talk Playing With Science. And like I said, we will be redeveloping things as we go for the beginning of 2020. So, yeah, it'll be very interesting. I'm Mm -hmm. really excited about how we're going to bring it forward. It'll be the same thing where we look at sport through science and bring that out, help you see something that maybe was invisible to you before, or if you knew about it, make you understand it even more. So, yeah. And like I say, really excited. So Gary O'Reilly, it was great that we finally were able to bring you onto the Columbia campus. We actually have, we had a soccer ball s- sitting somewhere around, which we were going to present. Oh, don't give me that. No, we're not going to. I won't. But, I won't I, uh, a football. It's been, it's been a while since yeah. I used one properly. So. Um, and once again, the show is Playing With Science. You can find the podcast, two and a half years worth of them. Stay yeah. tuned for a relaunch with... Neil deGrasse Tyson, yeah, Chuck Nelson, yourself. We're on, we're on a hiatus, so mm-hmm. we are looking for that. So keep your ears and eyes. And this is the fall of 2019, so you may be listening to this while you'll be able to, but you can go back and listen to the other shows. Oh, 100%. Um, um, and then lastly, t- actually two pieces. One is you, you're on Twitter, but you don't use it a lot, but what is your handle on Twitter so people can follow you? All in words, my three left feet, which probably sums up my, my playing career. And then the last question is, you get a lot. I'm sure you get approached by a lot of young people. You've worked with a lot of young football players. Anyone who wants to be get ahead in whatever business they're in, what's the advice that you tell young people? Find out what it is you want to achieve. Then don't let anything stop you from getting there. Stay focused, know what it is, and go for it. The hard part is identifying exactly what it is you want. Because if, you, if, you, if you're off center, if you're off target, you'll go in the wrong direction. So find out exactly what it is you want and make it your aim. Great. And go for it. Gary O'Reilly, thanks for joining us on The Cusp Show. Pleasure was mine. Thank you. Once again, this was the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito along with my co-host Tom Richardson. We'll see you down the road. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.